When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game betting odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Biggest takeaways from the Zero RB watch and stealing signals. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretch. You can find my Twitter at Yards Per Gretch. You can find my stealing signal substack at bengretch.substack.com. Uh, with me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work at Road of His Zero RB Watch, Road of His Overtime. Really excited um, for how you guys are doing in one of your best ball leagues. Uh, that's been a blast to follow. Sean, we got through the semifinals. We had some fun fancy performances, I thought, this week, especially relative to week 15, which was an absolute, I always want to say a bad word, but I don't think I'm supposed to swear on Road of His Radio. Um, this is a family show. But it was it was bad in week 15. Week 16 was a little bit better, but also bad. I mean, we had, like, Monday Night Football was – I. I think the worst game of the year. There's been a lot of bad games, but that was, I think, the worst game of the year. Ian Book was bad. But we got some good fantasy performances. We're heading to the fantasy championship week. How you doing? Been doing pretty well. Pretty well. It's hard not to be excited. You mentioned the best ball team, Colin and I, with Blair Andrews, are into the final 12 for the $100,000 and yeah, I mean, when you, when you feel like you're one week away from something that could be really cool, it's hard not to be pumped up. I know that you have a very high stakes league in which your team did extremely well. Our teams did all right this past week. Um, and one of the reasons why the best ball team got through is the same reason that some of our teams looked good. I wanted to ask you... I, so I went through it in the Monday article, right? Joe Burrow drafted as the QB 13. Basically, he's been the QB 12. He's finished ahead of a couple guys. He was drafted behind. He's finished behind Kirk Cousins or was behind Kirk Cousins going into this week. These are numbers going into the obvious explosion. And yet, even though he was doing what he was supposed to do and he offered some scoring in the QB window that we talk about for best ball, he offered some QB scoring late that allowed you and I to execute a lot of the things we wanted to do structurally, you know, get the wide receivers, get the elite tight end, come back with some of the top zero RB options before going with then the late zero RB options after the QBs. All of that was fantastic. 
And yet it was hard not to be extremely disappointed with how Joe Burrow and the Bengals performed this season. And one of the reasons it was so hard not to be disappointed was that what they did in week 16 just felt like in so many ways what we should have seen a little bit more of this year. You've got Jamar Chase. You've got T. Higgins, which in week 17, he showed like why I, I was so ridiculously high on him in the preseason. You know, had him overranked, all that kind of thing. Very uh, much the case that I was too high on him. I'll say that up, up front. They also have Tyler Boyd, who had the big game here. Actually was one very near catch away from a monster game. And, you know, we've kind of gone back and forth about it. We've talked about it on the show previously. But even though his collegiate wide receivers probably made him look better than he was that last year at LSU, he came out as the number one pick, did things with Cincinnati that Trevor Lawrence hasn't gotten, you know, in the same universe as doing with the Jaguars this year. He's been good. I mean, Joe Burrow may not be a superstar, but he's going to be a good NFL quarterback. When you have those wide receivers, how come we haven't seen more? So we, now we have 400-yard-plus 200, games against the Ravens, but where's this been against everybody else? Yeah, we've talked about it a lot on the show, that this is how this offense should work. And you know what's really interesting, I thought, this week, that I talked about in Signals, was what it meant for Joe Mixon, of all people who we have not been particularly high on, but the, their willingness to throw as much as they did created so much uh, scoring opportunity. They put up 41 points in this game that Joe Mixon winds up with six green zone touches, which is a huge number for any running back in a game. Uh, he also, because of the massive passing volume and the fact that his snapshot jumps all the way back up over 80% in this one, it was the highest for him from a snapshot perspective since week two. It's been kind of up and down and around at times and a little bit banged up at times, but also just, you know, seated snaps at times in the passing game hasn't really been consistent um, in terms of, you know, how much he's playing. This was a, you know, a, a game where he was very, very involved. And because of that, in a game where they throw 46 times, he catches six balls as well. So, he you know, he gets both sides of the high value touch spectrum, scores on the ground, scores through the air, has this huge game that, he wasn't the focal point of. And so it's, it's, you know, I, I I'm leaning from that perspective. It's not the, the side of the offense that, that we care about, but that I think is like such clear evidence of how this is the way that the offense should run. When they try to make Joe Mixon the focal point and hand him the ball 28 times and just do all these runs, you know, the low value touches for him and everything. He's had some good games doing that. He's also had some games that have been poor and the whole offense has looked poor. And then you have this game where they come out and they throw with intent, like we talked about all year. They're throwing a lot in the first drive. They're throwing a lot in the first half. They're scoring points because of that. And then, you know, as they get way ahead, they continue to throw. And, you know, they're throwing into the fourth quarter in a game that they have a, a comfortable lead on, but it wasn't all the way out of the, uh, the question yet. Uh, they took back over early in the fourth quarter, up 34 to 21. And they had a drive here, their first drive of the fourth quarter, where they threw one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times in a row. The whole drive, all eight plays were pass plays, up 13 points early in the fourth quarter. I mean, that's good coaching. I'm sorry, but, like, that's what we've been asking for all year. I'm saying I'm sorry because there are people that are, like, that think a lot of 
a lot of people are two on the passing game, but when you have an advantage in the more efficient side of, of the, of the game, it's working. There are too many coaches that then come into a shell and say, and eh, we're up 13 points here. There's 14 minutes left in the game. We're going to run some clock. We need to, you know, we can't afford three incompletions and a punt here. We need to run the ball. And then what ends up happening is they get three runs in a punt. They run a couple minutes off the clock, but they turn the ball back over with 12 minutes left in the quarter. They're only up 13 points. Now you have a game. If the Ravens go down and score. And Tyler Huntley is playing well. You know, Mark Andrews is absolutely destroying teams. You have Marquise Brown who can uh, lift the lid. You've got Rashad Bateman playing better again. I mean, this is a game where if you do the wrong thing, as you just mentioned, yeah, I mean, it gets to be like a six-point lead in a hurry, and suddenly there's pressure and you're starting to, I wouldn't say choke, but, you know, when you've already kind of taken the foot off the gas and then you're trying to decide, okay, well, now we're up six. What do we do here? You know, you bring the opposing defense back into it a little bit more. And then the other thing here is they attack deep, right? And one of the things that was kind of encouraging early in the season was that when the offense was struggling, you know, Jamar Chase, rookie, you're thinking, okay, well, this is a guy who doesn't really have a full sense of the NFL game yet. You know, how seriously can we take him? But he was talking about the fact that those guys could get behind the defense and that trying to neutralize the pass rush, which has been a problem for them. Right. I mean, Joe Burrow has had a lot of pass plays interrupted and they've had a lot of drives stall because he gets sacked. So you not only use, lose that play, obviously, but then at the next play, you're in a much more difficult down and distance situation. Chase has been saying, instead of trying to neutralize the pass rush with quick passes, we've got to get behind the defense and make them cover the whole field. I mean, Joe Burrow throws a pretty deep ball. He's got unbelievable deep receivers. Chase with that speed, Higgins with the size. We've even seen Tyler Boyd get deep several times recently. I'm I'm an enthusiast. I'm an optimist. I've been a believer in this team. You see this game. And when you think about if they can over the next 12 months and even kind of looking across this decade, build this offensive line a little bit, I mean, are we going to see a bunch more games like this? Because, I mean, if the Bengals do develop a decent offensive line, how would you deal with this team? Super promising game from that perspective, I would say. I mean, we know Burden coming to this game uh, this season healthy, uh, and so that explains sort of the first month. I mean, if we if we break up this season, they started to throw a little bit more, then they went away from it for a little bit. And sometimes you have some struggles. You you know you have some issues. You maybe try to establish the run for a few weeks, whatever. But we we get to this point in the season where they come into this game needing to beat this Ravens team in, in a close AFC North. And importantly, I've been getting T. Higgins going lately. And so, you know, Higgins wasn't really necessarily going big early in the year. And so you can, you can wonder if that influenced the pass run, right? They don't feel like they're at full strength or whatever. But they go into this huge game, and they obviously have a game plan that they're going to throw to win. And I think that is very promising, um, you know, with Zach Taylor there and everything else, that they seem to see, at least by now, uh, what, what we saw. And, I mean, I, I think it's very promising for them going into the playoffs. I think it's, you know, they're probably not real Super Bowl contenders. Although, I mean, I, I don't think it would be that crazy for them to win a playoff game or two or and start to make some noise. Do you have an AFC team other than the Chiefs that you like better than the Bengals after this last week? I mean, just a week ago with that close Chiefs-Chargers game, we were thinking the Chargers are right there, and then they managed to lose in a pretty embarrassing fashion to the Houston Texans. I can't even explain that. As far as a 
you know, a letdown game goes, you can't have that. You just lost to the Chiefs. You, you, there's no moral victory for you playing the Chiefs tough. And you had that on a Thursday night, so you had extra, you know, you had 10 days. It's like, in my opinion, not really a classic letdown spot in the sense that they had a little time to get over that Chiefs game and then refocus and say, okay, now we got to close the season strong and, and finish well against some, some inferior teams. They have three winnable games at the end of the year, this Texans game and then two more. Uh, who was it? It's uh, Broncos and Raiders to close their their season. You got to win all three of those games and, and get yourself the best you know playoff position as you can and all of that. But they came in so flat. But yeah, no, I the the Bengals I think are you know right there. The Bills are there. there there's you know there's a few teams. The the Patriots maybe still, but the Bengals look fantastic i think they're the best team in the afc north which is really surprising i mean i think early in the year you were already talking about them potentially winning this division i'm thinking okay the browns are a good team the ravens are a good team steelers haven't looked good but they can be a good team but i i wouldn't say any of those teams right now are better than the Bengals, right no i i wouldn't think so the the browns had a really disappointing result again and the the disconnect now that continues to emerge between Kevin Stavansky and Baker Mayfield. Once you're back to square one at QB, then you're just, you're not really realistically in it. Even if you have some of the other strong pieces that the Browns have. It'll be interesting now because we go into a game that I might have more anticipation for than any regular season game in a long time where, you know, Chiefs, Bengals now, where Kansas City with the Titans, really roaring back on the back of A.J. Brown, you know, looking superhuman in the you know second and third quarters of that game, the fourth quarter with the, the touchdown there to put them up. You've got a situation where the Chiefs have to keep winning, and yet the Bengals need to win that game badly to you know further establish themselves, cement themselves in a, in a decent spot going into the playoffs here. That bye looks like it'll be pretty important in the AFC the Bills, the other interesting game here, I, I suggested, and I have a tend to, tendency to be enthusiastic about some of these individual performances where a sleeper has stuck in the NFL and then finally comes through. Am I crazy, Ben, to think that the Bills now, I mean, number one, they've got Devin Singletary going, and he's my guy, you know, probably against. A good reason at points, but he's really playing. Got great peripherals in the advanced stat explorer. If you're interested, jump in there and, and see some of the things that he's doing. I've mentioned that it's not always the defensive front. You know, if your if your offensive line isn't blocking, then you're still going to be encountering guys in the backfield. He's making guys miss. He's extending plays, but the Bills it, and we haven't seen this whole thing obviously because Gabriel Davis is out this last week. But the Bills with a sort of a three wide receiver set of Stefan Diggs, Gabriel Davis, and Isaiah McKenzie, I feel like is the type of group that could actually beat some of these defenses that have given them so much trouble all season. We know Gabriel Davis is the red zone threat. He's the touchdown scorer. And now McKenzie looked like a massively supercharged version of Cole Beasley in this game. He's targeted a little bit deeper than Beasley usually is and just so much more explosiveness, you know, getting the ball after the catch, ability now you know you can say it's just one game he did have a big game last year in week 17 when he was given a chance we know he's fantastic with the ball in his hands in that week 17 game last year in addition to the two receiving touchdowns he also had a kick return touchdown i mean this guy can make some plays now he gets the full run 
in a game where the Bills didn't have any other choice. He looked great. And Stephon Diggs comes through and actually looks pretty good as well. We're starting to get a little bit of the 2020 version of Diggs. And out of nowhere, Josh Allen, you know, back on top in terms of quarterback scoring. Yeah, and Allen missed Diggs on one early where he had him in the back of the end zone. He did find Diggs for a touchdown later, but the early miss was a little bit of a bummer because it was one of the only misses Allen had in this game. He looked really good. Um, he ended up hitting McKenzie, I believe, on fourth down to cap that that drive uh, early in the game where he missed Diggs on, I think, second down. Um, but, yeah, Diggs is, is looking better. I agree. You know, getting open and and – He's had a lot of a near miss touchdowns. I mean, we've had we've had several receivers that we've said this about all year, but I know there was a game earlier this year I was talking about Diggs could have had a three touchdown game pretty easily, and I think he ended up with none or maybe one. He's particularly in the red zone has been has been open a few times and not been hit, but excited for you know, the, at least the way that he's been playing lately. It's obviously been a little bit of a disappointing season in terms of at least my expectations coming in. We we talked this offseason. I was very, very high on Diggs and, and felt like he had a chance to be the overall wide receiver one. That that type of upside has not come to fruition, but he has been strong um in top ten at the position, which you know, that it's a it, it's a miss, but you know, what's one of the reasons we do look at receivers early is like a lot of times they are just these minor misses which don't necessarily kill you. Obviously, there's been some others that have been a little bit bigger misses in the in the early range at wide receiver, but you kind of caught me on that a couple last week or the week before that I was kind of talking about Diggs as if he was a bigger miss than he was. I, he he hasn't he hasn't been bad this year by any means. He's still right in there, and if you have Diggs and you have the right other pieces, one of the things that was very interesting I thought in looking at the rosters of these twelve teams that are into the final twelve for the FFPC $100,000 best ball contest is that you do have some interesting guys. Number one, you know, there's a, there's a Travis Kelsey team or Tyreek Hill team. Obviously those guys didn't put up points last week. We have an Alvin Kamara team in there. Kamara's struggled, missed some games. There are multiple Dalvin Cook teams, even though he was out last week. And so, you know, you still do have to have, or it helps to have the, the big overall roster that's well-constructed. That's one of the reasons why we talk about structural drafting so much and give yourself a little bit of leeway if you drafted Diggs but still drafted a good overall team you're going to do a nice job Diggs was the first round pick on our chasing stolen bananas teams that we did with pat and pete and that team did a nice job finished second really only missed out on first in terms of my analysis of this i'm sure the first place team would also suggest that maybe there were some they would have outscored us anyway, but it was the Kyler Murray injury that really hurt us there. We didn't have a great access to secondary QB points, but that team still did nicely because of the overall build that it had. Then this Chiefs Bengals game, interesting because Kansas City's defense has been so good as of late. Pulling up, you can pull up any of the Bengals receivers in the NFL player weekly explorer and kind of see there are a variety of tabs here you can look at all the things they've done you can also look at their matchups one of the cool things that we'll give you is the opposing defense over the last five games we can see that the top players on opposing teams have been held down over the last five weeks the chiefs are number one in terms of expected points 
against their number 32 in fantasy points over expectation. So if you're a big believer in selling efficiency kind of either way on that, you say, okay, well, I like the fact that teams have to pass against the Chiefs and I feel confident in what the Bengals could do. But Kansas City's defense has been pretty tough. And uh, listeners probably know that I was born in Kansas City, have been to tons of Chiefs games at Arrowhead Stadium. I'm a huge Chiefs fan. And yet I do go through through stretches where – I get actually a little bit frustrated when the defense is better because I'm rooting for shootouts and we haven't really gotten that with the chiefs recently. Their defense has been good enough that they have not had to attack in the second half of games. Now I also just to sort of as a little bit of a digression here, I wanted to congratulate you on what was really an extraordinary season in the Scott fishbowl led for big chunks of it, had an extremely high scoring team, you had an amazing score in week 15. Week 16 was a huge cut down. Uh, we have a, a Rotoviz OT listener who I know has been kind of messaging you and Column and uh, Pat and Pete about sort of his zero RB team that did make it through. So that's pretty exciting. You go out this week, but I mean, that's going to happen sometimes in huge tournaments where you've got to be at the top in any particular week. You had an amazing team. It was led by a a ton of good players, but one of the tandems was Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. Hill didn't come through for you this past week in part because of the COVID situation and them probably trying to bring him back slowly, but also in part because the Chiefs simply did not need him. They're shutting teams down. Yeah, they're playing great defense. Yeah, the, the Scott Fishbowl, I mean, what a, what a fun contest. And, and we obviously have so much respect and appreciation for everything Scott does. And to run that contest for the fantasy community and then also obviously for the fantasy um, for the FF cares program and, and the toys for tots drive and all the good that it does in the community. Um, that's, that's really what that's all about. It's fantastic. It is a, you know, a, a contest from a, from a structure perspective where you have to have a lot of upside in these final two weeks because uh, in week 15, you cut down in your conference from 26 teams that are still alive at that point to 10. And then in week 16, it's just the top one that wins your conference and moves on. And then in week 17, you know, all the conference winners, there's 20 conferences. They're all going to go to get, go at each other this coming week. And it will again be, you know, the top one that wins the, the title. So you have to basically win these, um, you know, these GPPs two weeks in a row. I, I finished fourth this week in in the top ten. The week before, when it cut down to ten, I had uh, I had the top score by about twenty five points. So, you know, you wish you had that ceiling game in in week, and that was in a lower scoring week, but did not get that ceiling game. Part of the reason was those stacks you mentioned. I had I had the Stafford Cup and the Mahomes Hill. Stafford got negative points in this format because you get big negatives for interceptions. He threw three picks, so that was a big hit. And then, you know, Mahomes had a big game, but Hill didn't come along with him. So not getting those stacks to hit. I mean, the reason I I had the stacks was because of the volatility. You need to be able to have the ceiling this week and next week to win this thing. Uh, Loved that team. It was a fun team. It's probably the closest team I'll have to to being able to win. It's interesting, even with those stacks doing so poorly and Stafford getting negative in one of my QB slots, to still have been... Uh, within shouting distance, really. I mean, we talked last week about some of my decisions. I had Rex Burkett and I didn't play him. Uh, had I played him, I still would not have been able to win unless I played him over Stafford, which I would have never done. I was cons- 
I joked with you last week about you know whether or not you were embarrassed to have him on your roster, not mentioning that I picked him up and played him in one of my dynasty finals. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah that's great. Real, real, real nice, Sean. You got me thinking that it was ridiculous to play him, and then you went out and played him. That's just awesome. <laughs> No, I was considering him uh, up until Sunday. I was also, I wound up benching Boyd. Boyd has the 17-point game, and I played Tony Pollard for both those guys, in part because I also had Jarrett Patterson, and I wanted to see if Antonio Gibson would be active uh, on Sunday Night Football, which, you know, probably wouldn't. um, If Gibson would have been inactive, it probably wouldn't have been that much better of a game for Patterson because Washington got crushed so, so bad. But, um you know, if I had gone with Burkhead or Boyd, I, I wouldn't have made the difference on this team. I would have had to find a way to get them both in my lineup and bench someone else. And it, it is it is frustrating to look at it because it's a good roster. Even without the, you know, the stacks hitting, I had, a you know, 120 points on the bench. I still had 160-something points in my lineup with Debo and Jeff Wilson and Diggs. And Alexander Madison is on this roster. And Mahomes had a good week. And Zach Ertz was my tight end, had a good week. So I, it was a team that I felt like if I could get through – Definitely had a shot to be the top team out of 20 teams next week, but won't get that chance. That's the way it goes. But yeah, we were talking about the the Chiefs. Um, obviously, I'm a little bummed about this. You know, it's a it's a free league, but it's it's a bragging rights league, man. So probably be the closest, the best team I'll, I'll ever have, and it's got Fishbowl, I think. So probably the closest I'll ever get to to really taking it down. It would have been fun, but uh, the Chiefs defense has been fantastic. They're they didn't need Hill, obviously. I mean, I, I was watching them too for this stack, really hoping that it would blow up and give me a chance to make up. I was already trailing at that point in in the Scott Fishbowl, and it was definitely one of the leagues I was I was paying attention to. And and Hill just wasn't even on the field. You know, it, it seemed clear they had such a such control of Pittsburgh's offense that they weren't going to push him. You know, in his first game back, or he didn't miss a game, did he? But he uh, obviously was on the COVID list, didn't practice. It seemed like they just did not think physically that he needed to be pushed much more than than he was, and he didn't play even half the snaps. Byron Pringle winds up with the big game. Obviously, Kelsey was out, and Hill barely playing plays a big role in that. You know, I'd say to anyone who's thinking about Byron Pringle that things are going to be a little different when those other guys are in the in the lineup. Obviously, but it will be interesting to see this game with the Bengals this week. I think the Bengals. Throwing as much as they did has me really optimistic. They, I was just looking at the standings. They only need to win one of their final two because they now have beaten the Ravens both times. Uh, the Browns are two games back. The Steelers, with their tie, are a game and a half back. So neither of them can get to 10 wins. The Bengals are already at nine wins. The Ravens are the only other team that can get to 10 wins, but they do have that head-to-head tie with the Ravens. There's no way that there could be a three-way tie or anything. And so the, the Bengals are going to win the North if they win one of these two games. And I think that's maybe, you know, the, their final game is at the Browns. But I think that's maybe, I don't know, a little freeing in some respects in the sense that it is a, you know, probably feels like a must-win game, but it also isn't actually a must-win game. I don't know. I, I Maybe I'm just grasping for straws here, but I feel like they have all the incentive in the world to come out and throw again. They had all the success last week and come out and really see what happens. And if things go really poorly, like they're coming off a big win, that wouldn't be the end of the world if you lose to the Chiefs. But, man, I just hope they come out and throw 40 times again because that's that would make this game really fun. Yeah, that's definitely what we're looking forward to this week. Then we'll talk about some running back developments and what people might be looking for in their fantasy championships right after the break. 
NFL football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find NFL tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. One of my bucket list items is certainly to head on over and see my Green Bay Packers over in Green Bay at Lambeau Field. I'm super excited to see how this season plays out for the Packers, whether it's the Packers or any other team that you want to head and get in on the action this season and attend a game. Whether it's a home game for your favorite team or it's on the road, TickPick has you covered. Visit TickPick.com slash RotoViz to save 10% on your first order. So if you're thinking of going to a game this season, don't wait. Head on over, get those tickets. That is TickPick.com slash RotoViz. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Well, Ben, I think we have to start in your neck of the woods. I know that you have been out there sledding and, and making snowmen and what have you with this uh, wonderful snow you've gotten there in Seattle. Seahawks, Rashad Penny, the Seahawks managed to lose, which seemed impossible. They must have had a win probability at almost 100 through a big chunk of the second half of this game. They do lose, but Rashad Penny in the snow, slicing through everybody, bouncing off tacklers, extending these runs, creating big plays. He is a guy who has the size-speed combination on those rare stretches of games when he's healthy. And it's kind of interesting. I mean, anytime you pull up a player's best stretch, and for Penny, sometimes this is only stretch, they're going to look good you know, during the good time periods. But in this last month, he's in this top group in terms of the evasion rate. The other guys in that group, you've got the Browns running backs. You've got Javante Williams. You've got Herbert, who has actually a touchdown in this game as well. Devin Singletary, uh, Rashad Penny has been the best at creating extra yards when he does break tackles. His yards before and after contact are fantastic. That's how you end up with those good overall yards per carry numbers. But so much of what we've kind of hoped for for a long time with Penny has come to fruition recently and i mean he's on our our best ball team so obviously i'm rooting for him 
I try and caution myself and Blair and Column that, you know, it's Rashad Penny. We need not to be thinking that we're going to win because of a, a 25 point from 25 point game from him. And yet now he's put a couple together in the last month. The Seahawks offense still not necessarily leading them to victories, but there are some functional elements to it. I mean, is this going to be a guy where after a really rough start to his career and a bunch of injuries is one of these rare players who emerges and has, you know, maybe just as a small peak, but has this window now where he is an above average NFL running back. Maybe. I mean, I, it, he's going to be a free agent after the year. I think, I mean, I'm excited for the guy that he's been able to stay healthy and put some stuff on tape and, and earn a second contract. Cause I think that was probably in question to some degree or what that contract would look like. And he's done enough now, I think to close this season and hopefully that continues for these next couple of weeks, he can stay healthy and put up some big numbers, you know, it should help him get a decent enough for a, a little bit of an investment. Obviously running back contracts aren't huge or anything, but a little bit of an investment from somebody, whether that's Seattle again or someone else, I think there's still potential in his future, but, you know, wherever he lands, he's not going to be relied on from a health perspective. And and so you're going to have other options in those backfields, right? What, whatever backfield it is. And we're just going to have to, you know, hope that he stays healthy. And then, you know, for the, for the possibility that he could be really productive in the future, it's just going to come down to whether or not those opportunities present themselves in terms of the opportunity freeing up around him potential other injuries or things like we know can happen but i'm just happy for the guy that he stayed healthy enough to to put up some numbers this year and and i think we'll you know certainly at this point be on another team and, and have a shot to earn some some volume again in 2022. now with penny he's another guy it's kind of interesting i mentioned the player explorer you can go in and look at what detroit has done it feels like this should be a situation where if the Seahawks play all right, that, I mean, he could, you know, we talk about ceiling types of performances, the possibility of those, you know, could he come through and be actually one of these fantasy playoff league winners where we look back and maybe he won your league or he won these big tournaments. And this game with Detroit seems superficially like it's going to be very, very positive. But you look at the last five games and Detroit has been both good and bad against the running backs specifically three of the guys in the last five weeks who have been top performers were held down. David Montgomery only to 10.4, James Conner to nine, Cordero Patterson this last week, 8.3, a really dispiriting end to this amazing, well, I say end. If you had Patterson and he was a key part of your team, there's a decent chance you lost in the fantasy semis, didn't make it to the finals, but sort of a dispiriting week for the Patterson zero RB Cinderella story but the Lions have been uh, kind of a, a stealthy, you know, trick defense for running backs here. Are you concerned about this at all? What are your thoughts as you kind of look to this game and think about Penny as a potential championship week hammer? I mean, I, I'm buying it. Like, I'm, I think to a certain extent, you just buy the efficiency. He hasn't run a ton of routes. He has been getting the green zone work, which is nice. I think you're you're playing him as sort of uh, a rushing efficiency and touchdown upside type of guy on a team that's going to run the ball uh, without a lot of receiving upside based on how they've used him the last four weeks. I mean, he hasn't had a, a snap share over 60%. Even in his two huge games, it's been – his snap shares have been in the mid-50s. He's going to be a guy that 
leads the team in rushes is, is what we we're seeing and have seen. He's had double digit rushes for four straight weeks, but um, you're going to need some rushing efficiency. I mean, you're, you're not getting a ton of high value touches, but like you said, he's running hot right now. And I think there's an element of like, you just trust the efficiency late in the season with some of these guys that um, they can just get hot and, and run well. And, and, you know, it's, I think it signals like Compton to, to Ronald Jones right now where, you know, we're not probably going to see a lot of receiving out of Jones either, but Jones probably has a little bit more touchdown upside in the Bucks offense, but you're talking about, you know, sort of betting on, on rushing efficiency. And I do think both of these guys have that, that certainly that, that hundred yard plus a touchdown potential where you're already in the mid teens in terms of points. Hopefully you get a catcher two, you know, and, and get you know four to five receiving points added that's amazing if you can get that from these types of players there's the potential like penny had this week of no receptions but uh yeah i mean i think i'm i'm sort of buying it the, the lines have had a good run deep but the 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 seahawks should be in this game enough and you know they're going to run the ball so uh this is you know a key part of their offense right now and i think you just ride that I really like these guys who can turn seven-yard runs into 15-yard runs. You get three or four of those in the course of the game, and all of a sudden the player is well over 100, as Penny was in this one. You mentioned that the snap shares and the touch numbers. We know that we would like to have even more carries for him. We would like to have the absolute guarantee of those carries down by the goal line. When DJ Dallas scored a couple weeks ago, I think it was in a situation where Penny actually got banged up right before that, or he probably would have had that one as well. Uh, Alex Collins inactive this last week. I would guess it's you know leaning toward him being active next week, but I would expect, and you can get in trouble in these situations, but that most of his touches would come out of DJ Dallas, or at least most of the rushing touches. And, you know, if Penny can maintain the snap share that just that he's had, which he's been so good, you would think that there would actually be room to grow it a little bit. If he can keep the carry numbers in the areas he's already had, yeah, you need some things to go right in order to make sure you do get in close enough to get in the end zone. But seeing him do it at this level, I guess I don't think there's a real threat that his workload decreases in week 17. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I mean, maybe a little bit. I was trying to look at the last time Collins was active because I don't think he – I mean, I think he was pretty clearly the number two to Penny. Oh, it was the Houston game. That's what I thought it was. That It was the game where Penny had his first big smash game, the two long touchdown runs. You know, Penny only had 16 carries and Collins got seven and Dallas had a couple. And I say only. I mean, 16 carries is plenty. For, for what we're kind of seeing out of him in terms of efficiency. We're hoping to get 15 carries, really, and, and not not get 9 or 10. But, yeah, he had 16. Collins had 7. I think Collins got a little banged up again in that game. But if I recall, I'm trying to pull it up right now, but Penny was basically the lead. He was. He got the first couple carries on the first drive. He got the carries on the second drive. It looks like Alex Collins started playing in the second quarter a little bit. So um i i do think we're in a position right now where penny is pretty clearly going to be the lead guy even though we've seen some good things from collins it's also fair to point out as as much as collins looked good in his first real start against pittsburgh he had a 100 yard game he went a pretty long stretch this year not rushing particularly efficiently he had a you know 4.4 yards per carry against jacksonville that was his highest number for a, a six-week stretch in, in the games after the pittsburgh game 
uh, a few games where he had double-digit carries, was under four yards a carry, not looking particularly explosive at times, though he did look very good in the Pittsburgh game earlier in the year. So, anyway, I, I think we are at a point where, like, the way Penny's running and the fact that Collins has missed a couple of weeks is going to be coming back, I just don't see it as a threat at all. I'm, I'm right there with you. Yeah, and the only reason I bring it up is because the committee's – are a problem even if one guy is clearly better they're a problem if both players are good and week to week you never know exactly where you're going to get and and the Green Bay Packers game really sort of reminded me of this a situation where you know they do get up you think that it would be great for their running backs Aaron Jones has a solid game but I mean Ben this is frustrating right we have a week here with these two Packers running backs where they combine for 101 rushing yards, but they don't get a rushing touchdown. They catch eight of their nine targets, but it doesn't really turn into a ton of fantasy points. The Packers are currently number 13 in total points to the running back position, but I, you just would like it to be even higher, right? Aaron Rodgers is third in the NFL in passing attempts inside the five-yard line. Green Bay is the slowest team to the snap in the NFL, 29.2 seconds. You can find that in the NFL pace tool. Within a context like that, any given week, this committee can just be a huge headache for fantasy managers. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head with the pace. They only ran 58 plays in this game. That really sort of limited what the backs could do. They did combine for the eight catches. We know the targets are going to be there. That's great. It was nice to see Dylan get three catches, even in, you know, as the sort of the short side of the route split between him and Jones. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we need this offense to get forced to – you know, to play a little faster. It, I mean, this is a weird game, and it was on Christmas. I was definitely watching it, but also spending a little time with family. But when I wrote it up in signals, I mean, I, the big thing that I took from it was that every time I looked at the screen, Baker Mayfield was throwing a pick or a turnover where they play that that didn't go down as a pick. And I look at Aaron Rodgers' line, and and he's super efficient, throws for three touchdowns. But if if the Browns had turned the ball over that much. And the Packers were this efficient and did not turn the ball over. I mean, how did the Browns wind up with a chance to win this game on a field goal? Like, what did I miss in this game? Well, it was it was the opposite of what you were talking about with the Bengals, where they just didn't go after it in the second half and they let the Browns creep back. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's exactly right. And another team that that, that brings to mind for me is the Cowboys this week was so fun to see. I wrote about that in Signals as well, where they got out ahead. And they press their advantage, man. They like there are so many teams that you get up two scores, three scores early, you start running in the second quarter to just find some balance. Dak Prescott wound up throwing for uh, 330 yards and four touchdowns. 322 of those and all four touchdowns came in the first half. He threw 39 passes in this game. I believe it was 34 or 35 of them came in the first half. They just kept getting the ball because Washington couldn't do anything on offense. And the, and the Cowboys said, look, we have you – under our thumb right now, you cannot stop us when we're throwing the ball, and we're going to win this game in the first half. We're not going to just take a, you know, they, they had the defensive touchdown in the first quarter after they'd already scored twice. They're up 21-0 in the first quarter, but they said, look, uh, and look, Washington scores right after that. I'm looking at the game log here. They score early in the second. It's 21-7. A lot of teams maybe try to run the ball a little bit at that point. The Cowboys said, no, we're going to keep throwing the ball, and we're going to keep scoring touchdowns. They score again on that drive. They score again on the next drive. And they score again on the next drive three more times in the second quarter. They go up 42-7 before half. And it really was them just throwing and throwing and throwing. And Dak throwing for 300 yards in the first half that 
allowed that to happen. I mean, it it was really fun to see a couple of these teams show that pass first mentality the way that it's so beneficial because every time teams are trying to throw a lot and it's not working, we see the gripes. We saw it with the the Bills against the Bucks where they didn't run to a running back in the whole first half and everyone said, you know, live on Twitter, this is why they're losing. The Bills basically just continued to throw as much in the second half. They ran a little bit and they had some efficient runs because they had basically thrown the Bucks out of any kind of run defense, but continued to throw and came back all the way in that game and forced overtime. So, you know, some of those complaints didn't really carry over into the week because it wound up being a fantastic game. But anytime you see that, a team that's throwing a lot and it's not working, you see that they got to run the ball. they got to establish the run. The, the broadcasters are talking about it, all those things. And that that is, you know, I I, I, I think that's silly. Like in that Bucks game, it was silly to say that they should have just been running into a really good run defense and, and giving up downs. That's the what teams that have lost to the Bucks have done wrong is not just continue to try to throw. But that's like a little bit more of a gray area, at least. This is the the the, the what the Cowboys did, um, and what the Bengals did. It's it's the clear side of this, where when we say the passing game is more efficient, teams need to be passing on early downs. They need to be pushing. It's when they actually start finding success, and then they start making these suboptimal calls and not letting their offense get into a rhythm and not putting their foot on guys' throat on teams' throats and winning the game right now. Like put a team away. You have a team on their heels. And that's what the Cowboys did this week. It's what the Bengals did this week. It was fantastic to see. It also gives you a chance to emphasize a player who isn't very good, but you need to get to quiet down, right? We have a, a game here where Cooper, uh, Amari Cooper has 11 targets. He has 11 yards after the catch on those 11 targets. Now, he does have the first half touchdown, which occurred kind of after an unfortunate series of events where the officials decided to stop paying attention and don't call a flagrant offensive pass interference which would have really changed how that drive turned out and then we get what was a, a borderline um cheap shot but a scary hit there that fortunately didn't cause problems with dalton schultz cooper does score he does have a good fantasy day but he's got a 50 percent air conversion ratio uh, he's now outside the top 50 in racer on the season then following this 2019 bounce back campaign with the Cowboys, where he was number five at the position of fantasy points over expectation. I mean, he's just a role player, right? And a role player that, I mean, he's Amari Cooper, so you do want to keep him happy. But throwing so much allowed the Cowboys to kind of paper over the fact that one of the guys that they were trying to keep happy here really didn't do much in this game based on the volume that he had now the passes were caught more or less in in many of these situations and they did keep the chains moving but again because passing plays are so much more effective than running plays do you think we get a situation and we're not necessarily rooting for this we want to think that all of our receivers are more or less not rock the boat you know behind the scenes working with the qbs just you know good teammates but if they made the effort to get the ball to CD Lamb the way they obviously did to Amari Cooper in this game, uh, could we be looking at some some forty point T Higgins like games from Lamb in the future? Yes, yes. I mean, Lamb is. I mean, pops off games when you watch him. He continues to make plays. He gets the five targets here. He goes for sixty six yards. I mean, the efficiency is fantastic. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't have an answer for it, Sean. Um, for, for why he hasn't been more of a clear focal point for them because he's been so fantastic all season. Well, then we're coming to the end of today's show. 
but I do think we do have to congratulate Chase Edmonds on his fantastic game. Uh, we're big James Conner fans. Conner has been great. He's been a touchdown scoring machine. He's been a one-handed catch machine. He's really reestablished himself as one of the NFL's better three down backs, even though he doesn't have the straight line speed. But this game offered a reminder of just how fate and luck plays such a big role in fantasy and you know why you do want to have exposure to some of these late running backs and you know we saw so much again this week we saw michelle these guys from the running back class several years ago that everybody thought you know we're going to be stars and they just they haven't been so many of them are struggling to even stick in the league but they came back in week 16 this season played well penny rojo michelle but we've got plenty of these other late round guys too and we tended to take the slight extra discount on Connor and the potential touchdown scoring ability of Connor. But so much of what's happened with the Cardinals is this is a, an offense that actually the committee works and both of these guys can score. But now we've seen very convincingly that when either back gets the game to himself, I mean, you're talking about high end running back one upside. And especially again, unfortunately for, for Rondell Moore fans everywhere, especially when both of those guys are out and Moore is not siphoning off some of these, you know, behind the line of scrimmage targets, which is obviously a, a different conversation. When Edmonds is out there by himself, the workload is fantastic. And unlike Connor, he does have the speed to create consistent big plays. He looked great. Yeah. I mean, he was huge in the, in the passing game late. I thought early on, he didn't seem to have really sort of the, this, the same spark as earlier in the year. I made a note. So you're still on Connor here. You're like James Connor. No, well, in the first half because he 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 came. They lost this game and and they had to throw into the second half. And I thought he looked a lot better in the second half. But I made a note early in this game that with how good Connor's looked, it it I mean it just it was sort of flipped in my mind where early in the season Edmonds looked so much more explosive than Connor. Connor actually looked. A little bit slow to me at times early in the year, even though we had him. But it was like it was great that he score touchdowns. But then later in this year, he's Connor started to look a lot better. Like the the the, the prime James Connor we saw in his best you know best year in Pittsburgh. Um, and so then Edmonds, you know, not necessarily looking fantastic running early in this game at times, at least I thought was interesting in that regard. That Connor has seemed to be improving, but Edmonds did look a lot better down the stretch. Like you said, it was. A huge game for him. One of the things I've tracked in stealing signals is how there's just been a, a dearth of of high value touches. You know, I'm talking about the, this stat all the time on the show: the receptions plus the green zone touches. The ceilings for high value touches for running backs this year have been a lot lower than the past couple of years. I, I look at a four week rolling average every week, and the you know each week the four week rolling average has not really been that high compared to prior years where. You know, the really elite guys, the, the Christian McCaffrey seasons, they can sometimes have double-digit high-value touches per game. But even just having like eight per game on average over like a, a one-month stretch, usually you'd have a few guys that are doing that. And, and for most of the last couple of months in my, my column, as I'm looking at the four-week rolling average, there hasn't been anybody over eight or, or more than maybe one or two guys at any given time. And you look at the team level, and it's also true, it's been down over the last couple of years. 
this week was actually a great week for high value touches. Uh, Chase Chase Edmonds had ten because of the huge receiving work, and he got the goal line work, which he had uh, two green zone touches. It was only the second game all year he's had more than one, uh, and and the other time he did that, he also only had two, so it tied a season high of two. But that was great, along with the eight receptions. It gives him ten high value touches. That was uh, a season high for him. Joe Mixon's eleven. We talked about earlier on the show. Season high. David Montgomery had a season high with thirteen. Devin Singletary, you mentioned, had eight in this game, uh, was a season high for him. My guy, Justin Jackson, we got the huge ceiling game out of him. He had nine high-value touches. So we got a bunch of these ceiling games. Even Rex Burkhead, he had seven, but that was a a season high for him as well. Several of these sort of ceiling high-value touch games that really translate into ceiling running back scoring weeks, it was fantastic to see this week just some of that running back ceiling back um Edwards, Edmonds was a big part of that the the receiving work was a big part of that them trailing and throwing 43 times and Edmonds getting the nine targets and eight catches I mean that's just fantastic yeah and those those receiving touches so so valuable as you mentioned this was the second highest score of his career in fantasy the previous best was week seven of 2019 where he actually carried 27 times gained 126 yards and three rushing scores which is about the opposite of what we saw here but does give a little bit of a hint that you know Edmonds has has been a guy who can carry the load at times with as impressive as he's been the last couple of years he probably deserves even a little bit more of a chance but Ben this is going to be a crazy week the fantasy finals this is what we've been pointing at all season uh, we'll be back with a second show there'll be a lot more news between now and then I think that some of us are probably hoping, even though it seems silly and probably by the time this is released, it will no longer be a story. But if we could get uh, Philip Rivers in there for Carson Wentz, that would be kind of fun. Maybe create some of those high value touches that you talked about for Jonathan Taylor. The the Colts have kind of go, gone away from using Taylor in the passing game, but you put Philip Rivers in there, you could get 15 targets to the running backs, no problem. I mean, absolutely. He's been uh, a godsend for running back receiving for years. I mean, that's part of the reason the high value touches are down. Him and Drew Brees leaving the league in the same same season really crushed uh, two offenses in terms of, and, and it, you know, it's obviously the Saints and, and the Colts last year, but the Saints and the Chargers prior. But whatever offenses those guys were more managing, that there was always so much ceiling for the running back receiving, but. But, yeah, it's been a bummer. Taylor, no receptions the last three weeks. It's largely because they've given him 27-plus carries every week, right? They're just they're just running the ball every single time. <laughs> and they didn't do that as much this week. He got a couple targets at least, but we got to get him a few more catches because prior to this, these past three games, he was averaging three per game. It was a really nice part of his profile. And even if, if Phillip Rivers um... – doesn't play is there any chance he'd come in and do a little tutorial for Carson Wentz on how you throw <laughs> a pass to a running back maybe not like spike it off their hands from the I mean hopefully there was the one this week one of his two targets where he was completely open in the flat and he's open in the flat a lot and Wentz just likes to get vertical but he tried to throw it to him and he's just incapable of throwing a catchable ball <laughs> he threw it high and wide like a a bean ball from a pitcher it was not uh anywhere close to, to being catchable. It's like, come on, Carson, that's Jonathan Taylor. It's not James Conner. Not just everybody can make that reception. So, yeah, we, we're we hoping for good health for all the players. We're hoping for good health 
for all of our listeners and their families. We hope you're enjoying your extended Christmas as we lead into the new year. This is one of the most fun times of the season, and we expect you'll be celebrating uh, as you're listening over the next couple of days. We'll be back with you. This is a great time for us to encourage you to subscribe to our, our various pieces of content. Ben has just released his final Stealing Signals articles of the year. He is the happiest person in fantasy today. Uh, he, I don't know if it came through on the show, but we chatted for an hour or so before recording, and giddy is the only word to describe what Ben has been like. He did include uh, some info about what the off-season plan will be for Stealing Signals in that. Make sure you check those out. Subscribe to the newsletter. We're continuing our Christmas sale through the new year at Rotoviz, so you can subscribe at a discount there. We're also continuing our RV Radio discount, which you can get by using the coupon code RVRADIO2021 at checkout, so you'll get the double bonus there. We've also released the pre-orders for the Rotoviz Rookie Guide, which people have been really excited about over the last couple of years. We've been breaking sales records there. You get great stuff from Curtis and Travis, Dave, Blair. We'll have some other guys who feature in that as well. Closing in on prospect time, we've got a bunch of bowl games this week. Uh, check out Travis's new article up on the site where he talks about the mock draft for rookies coming up here in 2022. I mean, if there's one thing, Ben, that's as fun as fantasy championships is starting to talk about rookie drafts. When you're doing your rookie draft, you don't feel like every play could cost you the title. Although there are some situations where not being able to make that key trade does feel like it's going to cost you five fantasy championships over the next 10 years. So some pressure in that as well, but we're getting into that fun time of the season. We love having you guys. Thank you so much. If you want to drop us a rating and review or refresh your previous one, we always appreciate that. Subscribe to the feed and you'll get our shows as they come out with the Ultra Tempo over the next couple of months. We're pretty excited about what January and February has to hold for the show. As always, I'm Sean Siegel. With me is Ben Gretsch, whom you can follow at Yards for Gretsch. Subscribe to his newsletter. You won't regret it. It's awesome. We'll talk to you guys soon.